0: Hello, Mark, your Beware of the leopard. chairman here, with a bit of inside knowledge for this episode. This record went long, long into the night, so you'll no doubt notice the giggles start to set in after a wee bit. Uh, Also, I apologise for the quality of Danny's audio. I know it sounds ropey, so we'll be working to get that fixed as soon as we can. And uh, so, without further ado... Here is a two-hour recording session featuring three increasingly drunk and emotional men, otherwise known as a standard podcast.
1: House of Cards? But it's Zephod as the Frank Underwood
2: character. Mark, you went on a roller coaster that actually moved wearing a helmet that tried to convince you you on a roller coaster.
0: It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, God's second to last message to his creation. I'm Mark Steadman, and I'm rapidly running out of limbs. I'm Danny,
1: and it's my job not to willpower, but to draw attention away from it.
2: I'm John, and I could have made it if it wasn't for the Sunday afternoons. I really could. We're continuing through the seas, but
0: before all that, we've had some feedback uh, from our friend Steve Q. Steve writes, in regards to the writers, you skirted around him, but I think Chris Addison might be a good fit, and he has worked in two pieces uh, with the original Ford, and I think that's a... This is me talking now, Mark. I think that's a very good suggestion. I like the idea of Chris Addison, and I think he could do well. Uh, also, Jez Higgins has suggested we read Gareth Roberts' Shada novelisation, which is a Doctor Who thing. Uh, and he's also a fan of Mr Hickman's idea to create a Duckworth Lewis method drive. Yeah,
2: I think he. I think his particular comment was the he got the he quite dug the idea that you're essentially creating results for games that can never be finished, so it is all hypothetical maths, which uh, was what I was trying to nail last week. Hopefully, I did
0: well. Thank you to Jez and Steve, and do keep your emails coming in to feedback at btlpodcast.com or tweet us at btlpodcast. We like hearing from you. And with that, let's make a robot very happy. Colin is an adorable security robot Ford captures when rummaging through the guide's new offices. Ford hacks his logic circuits, making him constantly happy. John, do you think such uh, an unsophisticated hack job could work on Marvin? You need to look
2: at... um... Types of robots that we're that we're talking about here. Um, It's it's like a comparison between Talkie Toaster and Holly in Red Dwarf. (laughs) In the levels of sophistication, yeah, levels of sophistication. So much more sort of single use appliances as opposed to uh, to general appliances, and you need to think about some of the things that we're told about the way that these um, robots work. So, um, Colin, just to remind everyone, he's he's a he's a security bot. And um, his circuitry is based on the fact that if you can keep him happy, you can keep him working. But because you get to program what is going on within the robot, you you can tell it the conditions that create happiness for it. So essentially what Ford does is there's one chip, because it's a cheap appliance, there's one chip that contains all of the logic that tells the robot what the conditions are that make happiness for it. So by taking the chip out and just putting a piece of solder, well, a piece of wire across two terminals within the, um, within the, the motherboard of the robot, uh, he can make it constantly happy. So he takes all the logic out. So any stimulus, any input that the robot gets makes him become happy. You can't do this with Marvin, I wouldn't have thought, because Marvin is a more complicated machine. So um, Marvin's got a brain the size of a planet and he's got a genuine people personality, okay? So all of those complications would mean that this kind of brute force attack I don't think would work on, uh, on, on Marvin if, if what you wanted to do was to make Marvin happy, which is the, the kind of the basis of your question. So the reason he's depressed is because he's essentially come to realise that he can never reach his full potential because he's trapped in a mundane existence that's been created for him.
1: I think there's a lovely comment on happiness, the fact that you have to hack someone's logic circuits to make someone happy mm, yeah and, and there's that parallel between um, intelligence and happiness that Marvin has what the, the smarter you are the more depressed you are mm. um, and I think I, I don't think those are accidents I think there's a definite um, there's a definite tension there and there's a definite comment about what it means to be smart and what it means to be happy I think it raises some interesting questions about. Uh, people linking intelligence with um, depression or sadness and stuff, Mm. and people very resistant to taking antidepressants because they think it's going to change them or diminish them or diminish their creative urge somehow. So I think it's a really interesting question. Like if, if you could hack Marvin to be more happy, would he still be Marvin or would he be just a better version of Marvin? And would Marvin even make that choice if he could? like does he not does he not feel better being superior and sad than because he's got such disdain for all the other robotic life forms that are incredibly happy i get the impression that he wouldn't want it anyway
2: this kind of idea of having the 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 right to say to marvin well because you're depressed we know that this section of your brain we mapped um, in the um, the depression protocols of your of your genuine people personality, so we're going to just switch them off. And the idea that you you don't have the right to do that, I think that that does tie back to that idea of. Um, the, the kind of the period of electroshock therapy. I know it still still happens in some places, doesn't it? Um, or, or, you know, kind of operating on people to to shut down things. It's this this idea that because he is our robot, we can just go in and, and lobotomize the part of his brain that gives him depression. That's all about an outward uh, uh, about society. Looking in and judging people and characterizing people in certain ways and forms of social control, and people saying that it's it's not normal for you to be depressed and it's annoying us, so we're going to switch off part of your brain because we're cause we're allowed, rather than a, a, a approach that's centered on him that says, do you do you do you want some do you want some help and how could how could we help you and how could we help you feel more fulfilled. Um, and a lot of the electroshock therapy stuff comes down to those ideas about society saying, well, we don't want you to be gay or promiscuous or uh, all these things that people have, have had electroshock therapy for in the, in the past. They're about society wanting to shut down certain behaviours and traits without recourse to thinking about what the actual person wants.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe it's actually a sign of a really enlightened, futuristic society that they just – allow him to be depressed and it's, it's his thing and he gets on with it because he never asks for help.
0: Okay, time to move on and remember the little electronic clinky noise is a sign for me not for you. The Computeach is an electronic teaching aid that educates listeners to the radio series along with a small boy about the shoe event horizon. Like Colin this machine can be made happy but by means of a button being pressed. The pupil can also make themselves feel all nice by pressing a different button. Danny, I hesitate to ask, but what do you think these buttons do? So
1: thought it was interesting that pressing buttons and making yourself feel nice is essentially what every single person does every single day with that little slab of plastic that they carry in their hands. Ah. Now, I don't want to be one of those wankers that like, you know, the really terrible pictures that you see online where it's like... Um, People looking at their phones and they're not seeing the sunset behind them or they're, you know, a really obvious metaphor where a big heart is breaking every time they press a button that makes a like or just something really shit and banksy like that. I'm not one of those guys. I think phones are great. I think they're they're accelerating our evolution. They're accelerating who we are. They, they generally are good. But there is something to be said. The fact that we press buttons... And we give another person a little thrill, a little bit of shot, a of adrenaline, a little bit of dopamine hit that they got accepted. And they press our buttons and they make us a little accepted, make us get a little adrenaline rush. We get a little notification. And the algorithms are designed to do that, by the way. They're absolutely designed to meet out these little bit of dopamine hits. If you haven't been on the app for a while, it will make sure that a status comes up that you have to check it. Um, so it meets out these little pleasurable hits like a like a dealer would if you were genuinely trying to get someone addicted to something um not that that's a bad thing i'm i'm unsure about the whole thing myself, but it's not entirely different to teaching somebody something and then giving them little dopamine hits or giving them little tickles in their um you know dopamine receptors at all. So, yeah, if the future of learning is making people feel happy when they get things right that doesn't involve a social acceptance or acceptance from an authority figure, I'm all for it.
2: That's really nice.
0: We've talked a lot about computers already, and we'll be doing so again shortly. So I wanted to throw in a personal recommendation uh, to our list of great Audible listens, After On is a book by Rob Reed that came out in mid-2017. It tells the story of a small startup bought by a large mega-corporate social network that gets deep into quantum computing and artificial intelligence. It's a well-researched, wonderfully characterful novel and is read by a great cast, including John Hodgman, Felicia Day, and some heroes of podcasting. If you'd like to pick this up, you can do so and get started with a free trial of the Audible service by going to audibletrial.com slash leopard.com now, uh, not only do you get a free audiobook and the chance to check out their extensive library, but you can also help support our little show. So go do it now: audibletrial.com/leopard. And with that, let's pop the telly on. Cosmovid, ThinkPix, and Home Brainbox are sub Ethernet subscription services that show films. We covered Angst in Space in episode two, which is one of the titles on offer. Gents, what other titles might we be able to expect from the sub Ethernet equivalents of Netflix or HBO Now?
1: Okay, I was thinking, right, because um, it's a subscription service, it's cable, there's probably um, a shit history type channel that obsesses about one or two things so with us Hitler and sharks yeah so with us <laughs> with us, our history channel obsesses about Hitler and ancient aliens right writes, but the, one of the themes running through the book is bypasses so I imagine there is a whole channel direct, <laughs> a whole channel directed just about documentaries about bypasses bypasses of history future bypasses that might actually happen bypasses done by famous people did aliens do bypasses probably because aliens are an
2: accepted thing that actually happened here in this universe oh Bypass challenge. There's uh, two, two, two teams <laughs> of opposing aliens who have to build a bypass in the quickest period of time using just uh, scrap um, armadas that are tiny and get swallowed by a dog.
1: <laughs> bypass SOS. So there's um, a couple of planets that really need a bypass because there are people with less um, male limbs that are actually usual for that particular pace and time and space. And so a bypass has to be built in the shortest arbitrary time possible to make it uh, make it more convenient for them changing bypasses
0: <laughs> bypasses <laughs> under the hammer <laughs> can i pitch one go on vogue on idol <laughs> vogue on talent show or, or vogue sphere's got talent there you go vogue sphere's got talent it's the uh, it's 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 the yeah it's the Vogons didn't set it up because they would never think to do that. So it's been set up by another life form, possibly by the Dentrassi, actually, just as a way of irritating the Vogons.
1: Oh, it's a sneering kind of look at these. Yeah. But basically a talent shows. Exactly. Show. Yeah.
0: In much the way the talent shows are made now, where we look at the bewildered and the, uh, and uh, you know, and, and people who have, you know, are at various um, areas or, or, or various parts of the learning spectrum. Um, and we, you know, mental problems. You're, you're really dancing around the term mental not problems. Not mental. problems. I wasn't are- talking about mental problems. I was talking about people who are intellectually subnormal. <laughs> um and we and and rather than take them in our arms and love them as human beings we point at them and laugh at them and say you're ugly and stupid and fat and talentless um rather than you're a human being who is deserving of our love <laughs> um and uh, i i it seems to me that we we should absolutely have a vogue on talent show okay so i was thinking house
1: of cards but it Zephyr as the frank underwood character
2: oh my god wow
1: So there he is, right, bumbling around, accidentally foiling plots and taking down his opponents and talking to camera, which you could actually make it a reality show. And I think he would be talking to camera when there's no one else in the room, even though he didn't think there was a camera
0: there. I think that's doubly brilliant because of the fact that he is one of the few people, Well, he's one of the only people in the entire book series that is capable of legitimately talking to himself. So the fact that he would forgo that when he is capable of talking to himself without looking like he's mad, but f- would forgo that and still turn to camera and deliver a soliloquy to camera, even though he's got two heads, so he could still have a chat with himself. I love that idea.
1: <laughs> and also, it's actually in canon that he's one of the he's, he's one of those people that f- doesn't know a lot, but actually can fool you into thinking that he does know a yeah. lot, but yeah. actually does know enough that actually... By think, falling you into thinking that he doesn't know a lot, he doesn't actually have to demonstrate that he does know a lot because that's a lot easier for him.
2: Wow, man! I think when we when we think about your Netflixes um, and your and your HBOs, we tend to think about quality series so we do look at we do look at your sopranos your wire game of thrones and all those you haven't things. watched oh, yeah. angst in space i can't believe it it's it's brilliant you know but actually netflix is a clearinghouse for a lot of shows. oh yes especially in the uk uh but even things that are things that are netflix originals you know basically there is stuff on there that is um straight to video dross um uh, even sort of stuff that's by mainstream uh, actors so without without wanting to to sort of steal from Stedman too too much i was thinking there would definitely be a lot of vogon poetry shows
0: now are you thinking that would be vogon poetry readings or would they be adapting vogon poetry and turn them into dramatic series oh my god i hadn't i, I just got as far as vogon poetry readings so the netflix the netflix originals of um thy Micturations are to me stedman you are incredible
1: Take a bow. Right. Most popular TV program at the moment. Guys, what is it? The Bake Off. Oh, come on. The most popular TV program in the world at the moment. Game of Bypasses. Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah, it really is.
0: Right. I wasn't sure if you were waiting for the ironic answer or not.
1: No, 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 no. It's set in the past uh, with uh, forgotten technologies and uh, primitive um, codes of honor and and systems, right? And it's a multi-sprawling epic about... Well, the the pursuit of power. Mm-hmm. So, these aliens, these advanced technologists are watching a drama set in present-day Earth in something foreign calling, I don't know, uh, let's call it IKEA,
2: <laughs>
1: right? About right. the uh, machinations and the pursuit of the, um, the, to be the chairman and the CEO of IKEA. Right. And call it Game of Chairs. It's one of those. It's one of those jokes that everybody claps but not laughs. Yeah, sorry,
2: it is one of those. It's a. a, ah, That was humorous. I'm still thinking of like bypasses home and away. I'm still thinking
0: (laughs) that's just adding bypasses (laughs) to the name of a show. Bypasses bypasses EastEnders. (laughs) Don't you silly? I'm a bypass.
2: Get me out of here. Bypasses M L Farm. Emmedale used to be called Bypasses Emmedale Farm. <laughs> Bypass nine o two one o. The sub Ethernet. Can you just situate this for me in uh, our technology? That this in the real world, like our moon. Um, did Ethernet? E T H E R net. Exist when Douglas was writing about ether? Um, uh,
0: now, almost certainly, because I think ether- Ethernet is is a very old technology that we still use. Uh, it is just that you know the wired technology for connecting computers. Um,
2: but so I th- he was he was consciously doing a riff on. Well,
0: actually, see, I don't know because he wrote that in 1970. 1970- Eight nine, and and it wouldn't be a common thing to know about, would it? No, exactly. So the technology probably existed, and at the time, I don't think he was a fan of technology. I think he was a late comer to it, or not, not you know, not a. He wasn't a luddite. He just he didn't know or cared that much about it. And then I think he grew to have an interest. So I would argue he probably, although the technology almost certainly existed, he probably didn't know about it, and so he took the idea of something in the air mm-hmm. and and that being a good way of of having something because it was. It was originally just the sub-ether, um, and the yeah. sub-ether net then, then came along. I think it actually came along
2: in book f- – oh, no, it was in book three. Th- oh, no, no, I actually think the sub-ether net was book four. And so he's, he's essentially invented something that Hedy Lamar had invented in the 1940s. Exactly. Right then, back to computing. <laughs> Counting
0: is about the most aggressive thing you can do to a computer, the equivalent of going up to a human and saying, blood 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 John since I always seem to turn to you uh when validating Adam's sci-fi jokes what you make of this one
2: yeah this is my hill to die on now isn't it it <laughs> really is so your cross to bear it really
1: is if you don't love this i'm going to take massive issue oh no
2: i love it yeah oh good I, um so the the build up to this particular joke in terms of the the blood 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 part of it is um ford is is counting to 10 Um, and, uh, Douglas describes how he's, he's desperately worried that one day sentient life will forget how to do that. Um, and the exact quote from the book, uh, is only by counting could humans demonstrate their independence of computers. And that's kind of, uh, a little bit cute. Oh, oh, bless you human. Because that's like me going up to my car and saying to my car, I can run one mile in seven minutes. But after that, I'm a bit tired and I slow down to about eight. And then I could do that for 26, and then I'll stop. It's bringing a knife to a gunfight, isn't it? To go to a computer
0: and say, I can count. It's more like bringing a chopstick to a gunfight. I'm not sure. I'm,
1: I'm like, isn't having an intrinsic uh, viewpoint about how you're entire system works a little bit more threatening so if i was to look at you and go right your carotid artery if i was to sever that that's just underneath your chin you're going to bleed out in like less than 10 seconds yeah like it isn't that a little bit threatening that's that's threatening. oh yeah
2: no no totally yeah yeah no i think I, I think the the actual the blood 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 bit is really really clever because it does Tie up the idea that uh that numbers are the essence of a computer, and it's it's only two
0: numbers. Very neat. Um, and it's only one of them that's like a real logical number. You know, they, the computers can only do one thing, and that's go on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off very, very quickly. That's all a computer does, and everything else is what the human, uh, you know, has has deemed that it wants it to do until we reach uh, the singularity, and then we're all doomed. Wouldn't it be
1: more accurate if he was going one zero one? zero
2: instead of actually counting wouldn't that be more intimidating what would be more threatening Dan is to go up to it and go one zero and then walk away because that's just off you just made a binary
1: joke motherfucker I'm gonna (laughs) high five you from here
2: Okay,
0: so last week we launched our poll to find the actor who would play Marvin in our hypothetical Netflix reboot. If you want to cast your vote, head to btlpodcast.com and click on the blog. Uh, We'll check in with the results of that poll next week. But for now, I thought we might look at a piece of technology that Adams alluded to in some of his works, but never quite um, under the same name. So he's encompassed this in quite a few things, but has never called it what we're going to call it now. So, gents, have you tried virtual reality not this wave oh right were you were you on board the original wave well um
1: my mom and my nan and a couple of my aunties worked at arcade growing up and that explains why um my brain um is attracted to flashing and light something in colors and all the time like
0: if you listen to your if someone held a stethoscope up to your brain they would just do it's more the vaguest sound but still you get the idea
1: so yeah i grew up in that and uh, because we were friends with the guy that owns the arcade, he was super interested in arcadey stuff. It was a really good job for him owning an arcade. <laughs> <type of one. laughs> um, and he got one of those, you know, the like late 80s, early 90s. And I want to say it looks like a, a cage, but doesn't go over the top. It's like a ring cage type situation. You, know, you
2: like those astronaut spinny things? Yeah,
1: you're not strapped into it, but you're wearing the, the, the helmet and you've got um, a handheld controller. Oh, wow. And you're in that thing, and it kind of puts you in relation to that, so you can
2: walk around and stuff. Law man stuff. This is. So,
1: yeah, I remember distinctly going into this thing, and it was um, it was uh, a fantasy based one. So I was going into a dungeon, and everything was so polygon. Like it was, it, everything was so badly rendered. It's just
0: lots and lots of triangles.
1: Yeah, that yeah, I stood there going this isn't very good. Like, and I was probably like 11 or 10 at the time. And like, and he was really expecting it to be good as well. This isn't very good. And I remember the skeleton kind of not actually walking towards me, but kind of shuffling its shoulders in a, (laughs) in a poor pantomime walking towards me and started like attacking me with a sword. And it killed me because I was finding, I was trying to find the buttons to press to make myself defend or attack back. And then when I took the helmet off because I died, he was like, why didn't you swing your arm about and actually fight him? I was like, well, I didn't know I was supposed to swing my arm about. I was trying to push the button to kind of
2: make me fight the person. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's like with with a game controller in your hand, you can project yourself fully into a game that's happening on the screen at a level of abstraction several feet from you and you know that pressing X is going to fire the gun, pressing circle is going to get another gun out, and that becomes an extension of your physicality without the weird artifice of, of shutting out the outside world to stand in a less... um sophisticated environment I did uh, I did some VR at Alton
0: Towers last year oh yeah where I also had one of the best mixed grills I've ever had (laughs) or did you yeah indeed that's a genuine fact
2: (laughs) it was actually like the meal that Anakin and Padme have in uh, Revenge of the Sith where there were (laughs) apples floating at your face pieces (laughs) of bacon and you're picking them out of the air (laughs) <laughs> that's one of the worst eating scenes on film no
1: actually that's true I went to Drayton Manor and uh did a VR called Plowman's Lunch <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my god! Have you have you played Ploughman's yet? It's amazing. It's like the cheese is really there. I did I did a, a virtual reality roller coaster, which was, in fairness, pretty cool. So Air, for those listening in the UK, is was a decommissioned ride. They they got rid of it because it was kind of boring. It was a nice ride, and, and you're basically the the, con, the the conceit was that you're flying, and so they just took the same ride, and I think they left it exactly as it was, put up some new decals, and bought a bunch. Of Oculus Rifts, uh, and I'm glad to say they do go round with antiseptic wipes before they hand you the device. Um, but yeah, you basically you strap this thing on your head, and then you're in space, and it
2: was quite cool. Mark, Mark, you went on a roller coaster that actually moved, wearing a helmet that tried to convince you you we were on a roller coaster. No, the, <laughs> no, he didn't try to convince me I was on a roller coaster. It tried to convince me I was in space. One of my friends at uni has got a series of photographs from every major roller coaster in the UK between 1997 and 2000 of him taking trips on roller coasters. <laughs> and he was quite he was quite straight edge. Apart from that, he would like he'd not drink for months at a time, and they're going to take trips on roller coasters. Oh, literally trips on roller coasters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my office god. Tits, yeah, no, no, tits.
1: T- no. To be fair, if you're tripping on a roller coaster, you need a couple of months off to kind of just process the shit that you saw. <laughs> Like, he wasn't being straight edge about that. He was being being (laughs) pragmatic.
2: (laughs) So, Mark, here's an idea. Mm. So I could go to Alton Towers, right? And at the Alton Towers, there is... you're just going to sit and make fun of me, aren't you? No, no. No, listen.
1: It was funny that you were going to, and it's funny that he called you.
2: (laughs) I was going to make a serious point, but... Go for it. Go on, I'm receptive to your point. I feel like I need to come up with something where I act like a dick now, just to live up to expectation. No, um, so I could go to Alton Towers, right? Mm-hmm. There is a place at Alton Towers called the CBB's Land. Sure. Which is um, age-appropriate roller coasters for age-appropriate small people. <laughs> sure. So this is where characters such as Postman Pat... Will uh, engage in low stakes uh, rides like driving around in a van and dropping off letters. Yeah, could I put an Orton Towers Oculus Rift on and pretend that I'm on a roller coaster and just sit on there with my kids? You absolutely could, but I don't think the two would match
0: up. So it would be like trying to it would be like trying to put any film on and then playing uh uh Pink Pink Floyd's The Wall to see if it syncs up because it's almost certainly the two experiences are not going to sync up because you'll be there having a nice little trundling along ride. So your your kid's going to be there going, oh, look, Postman Pat special delivery service. And it'll be going... In the VR helmet, it's training
1: day, right? And you're you're cruising around South Central with a corrupt police <laughs> guy that's smoking, making force and used to smoke ECP. That's brilliant.
0: You could definitely do that. Mixed ability theme parks. Right then, who's ready for lunch? In the book and TV adaptation, when our heroes head to the restaurant at the end of the universe, they're greeted by a talking cow who offers various parts of his body for the guests to enjoy. So I have to ask, Danny, would you eat a talking cow that was bred to be charming and extremely edible? Yeah,
1: I've put a lot of thought into this, (laughs) and yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, of course I would. Why wouldn't you? I mean, at least for the first time, just
0: for the (laughs) crack, just for like... Just for the experience uh, of it all.
1: Yeah, just for the experience of it, just because you'll probably never get another opportunity to do it You might as well do it. So that is seems to be the guiding force for the reason that I'm doing most things in my life. So, yeah, why wouldn't you do that particular thing? But, okay, when you break it down morally, I'm acting morally a vegan. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Morally, I don't disagree with a single argument that a vegetarian or a vegan has presented to me for consuming animal products. I I genuinely really don't. They are absolutely, 100% completely right. I just still eat meat.
2: I don't know why. I haven't been a a vegetarian as long as John has. I, I am still bound up in ethical problems every day. Buying a pair of shoes is a fucking minefield because try and get a pair of kicks that don't have any leather on them. And I'm not a vegan But I'm very aware of, like, encasing my body in, like, other things' skins. Yes. And I don't quite know what to do about that yet. And somebody who was just stuck for for something to say to me in small talk once at work went, you're a vegetarian now. Where'd you get food? (laughs) I was like, the shop, mate. Oh, right. Is that difficult? Nah. Just get a basket
0: put food in it and pay for it just buy food like a human
2: <laughs> oh is there is there is there stuff you to buy Yes, yeah, in the vegetable aisle
0: <laughs> you know all of that stuff that you also buy uh, yeah, other just... people who don't eat meat buy those things too well Richard Herring has uh, a, a thing that he he used to ask his interviewees uh, and it was a sort of would you rather and one of the options was I think the full question was um, would you rather have a hand made of ham or uh, an armpit that dispensed sun cream. And... He asks this to vegetarians and meat eaters alike, and the you know the whole moral quandary of of it is because obviously vegetarians their sort of first answer, which is a you know perfectly crumulent answer is, well. I don't eat meat, but it's your own hand and it grows back after a
2: bit. And so, John, I'm going to throw to you and say, would you eat a dude as as a as a as a latecomer to not eating meat in life? I have often thought about what circumstances uh, would compel me to to go go back the other way, and I think if you're in a survival situation you might make difficult questions your 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 ethics and your morals will stretch to the reality that you live in and at the end of the day i live in a reality where i have the luxury of being able to make choices that i wouldn't be able to make normally and probably similar similar to um although not all the things that i have in in my house are the right ethical choices Um, you know we people often talk about you, how you, your iPhone might not be made in the best circumstances, so maybe that could be a bit guilt-free. But I've I've got enough money that if there was a guilt-free alternative, I could probably get it now. But it wouldn't have the right apps, John. That's true. So um, yeah, as to whether or not I'd, I'd I'd eat a dude or eat my own hand. I don't know. I so ser- I know I certainly wouldn't enjoy it, um, and I wouldn't do it as a as a as a as a dare or a thing to try. It would
0: purely be a, a, a matter of necessity for you. It's just a matter of survival.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that's basically what I'm. What I'm. What I'm saying because I'm, I'm aware of the fact that that is food, um, mm. and ultimately, I am a selfish person. Have you got any jokes in the show tonight, Mark. <laughs> Well, on
0: that bombshell, that just about does it for this week's episode. Uh, Until next time, where can people find you, Mr. Hickman? You can find me at John Hickman on the internet. Very good. What about you, Danny? at probably drunk on the Twitters and you'll find everything from there, probably. And that just about wraps it up for The Leopard. You can tweet or email us your thoughts on uh, Sentient Cows. All the links you'll find are at btlpodcast.com along with all of our past episodes, links and show notes.
1: Oh, Jesus, I know I spoke whiskey all over my fucking computer then.
0: And if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this week's episode, then please write to your local counsellor. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Jesus don't forget to pick up your free audiobook and start your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com leopard. And we'd very much appreciate a review or a thumbs up or any other way that you can show some love and validate us as human beings. We will be back next Thursday. So until then, for the love of all that is holy, share and enjoy.
2: I know it was in the script. I was keeping it together and then suddenly you went sentient cows and I just fucking, oh, I was just taking a belt of whiskey and it was just (laughs) burning in my throat because I couldn't swallow it.